This is Coffee and Camino and I'm Luke Mills. Welcome to Coffee and Camino. My name is Luke Mills and I'm the host for this podcast to help you find out more about all things Camino. It may be a well-known Camino in Spain, such as the Camino Frances, going all 800 kilometres from France to Santiago, or it might be a lesser-known Camino in a distant land somewhere. So who exactly are you? Well, if you're listening in, it's probably because you fall into one of two camps. Either you have walked a Camino, or maybe you would like to go someday. Or you might be even that third camp that has been on a Camino and is certainly wanting to go again. Either way, I hope you enjoy the show. So I'll introduce my guests shortly, but just to explain the format, we'll start with a conversation and then we'll have a short siesta. But that's not to fall asleep, it's just a break, and I'll comment or highlight on some of the points raised, and then after that we'll hear from Shelley, our guide to all things practical in the second half, and uh, then we'll resume the conversation. So, to our guests, today in Coffee and Camino, we're at the Metropole Cafe in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, and I am joined by Graham Simpson and Dr. Anne Bust, no less. So Anne, psychiatrist, crime writer, romance author, expert in women's and mental antenatal health care, wife, mother, and most importantly for this program, Pilgrim. And Graham is also retired IT expert and also author of the uh, Rosie Project Trilogy. And I'm very lucky to catch them today because it is a very big weekend because Graham is launching the third book in the series. But that's another story, okay? But before we go on, I have to, first of all, ask you about where we are today, because this is the cafe part of the Cafe and Camino. So where are we today, and why is this place significant to you? Uh, well, we've lived in Fitzroy for many years, um, but we sold our house. It's sort of, we were concerned that the, the market was dying, and we're building it apart, or, involved in building an apartment, um, also in Fitzroy, so we thought we'd better sell the house, make sure all our money didn't go down the tube. <laughs> and the apartment's taken a little longer to get finished than we right. were anticipating. So when we're in town, we stay at the Metropole, and they look after us very well. Well, they obviously do, because when I mentioned that, uh, you know, we were here, the, the, the cafe's actually closed at the moment, and look, just mentioning uh, Anne and Graham's name just opened so many doors. Uh, they were only too pleased to uh, to to provide this space for us. So I'm very um, I'm very happy about that. Okay, um, so I want to ask you both, thinking way back, early on in the piece, what what did you know about the Camino before you first went back in 2011? Um, well, we'd seen the scallop shell on a lamppost in France near where we often stay. Uh, didn't really know what it was, so I had to ask someone. And when they told me it was, of course, it was for the Chaman, I thought, hmm, that really helped. Not. Um, because the Camino in French is Chaman. <laughs> so that was something I had to learn. My French is not particularly good. Um, we actually then did a little bit of homework. We went to a, a 
Council of Adult Education thing about it. And mm. whilst the history fascinated me, I kind of was a little underwhelmed or overwhelmed, depending on which way you look at it, by the number of people they were telling me that was on it. Mm. So we kind of put it off, and, and the house in France where we were was 1,100 kilometres from the usual start right. of the Camino. So we really didn't think about it again until we suddenly had some six months of long service leave and we risked sitting and eating and drinking in France and doing nothing else for six months. So we thought, oh, let's just do a bit of the Camino mm -hmm. and um, that will just help us feel better about not spending all that time eating and drinking and doing nothing else. Were you thinking about this in whilst you're in France or before you left? Well, pretty much. Well, we had six months in America beforehand. I was right. on a sabbatical um, and I was it was pretty flat out, it was a lot of fun, mm -hmm. but uh, we were planning that next six months. So I think by the time we got there, we were, yeah, we, were, we knew we were gonna go. Yeah, okay. So I would ask you also, so um, it doesn't sound like you knew an awful lot about it, and it does seem like an unusual place to start, because most people, in fact, don't start there at all. Uh, but how, I would say, Graham, how much do you need to know on the Camino before you go on one? Well, you probably know that, well, you know that we wrote a book called Two Steps Forward Good. about it. Yeah. And one of the characters in Two Steps Forward knows absolutely nothing about the Camino, but learns as she goes that maybe they weren't the right shoes to wear or the right jeans to wear. Mm -hmm. Jeans indeed. Um, and I think she's realistic in that way, that you can actually, I mean, you are walking through villages. If something doesn't go right on day one, well, you can buy different things, you can dump stuff and so forth. Um, I, I think if you're walking the Camino Francaise and you know nothing, you might have a little trouble finding accommodation on night one and you know, think, things like that. Um, but starting as we did in central France, really basic life skills, we're going to, be, we're going to get you there. Yeah. I, and um, so how can you com make the comparison between the Chemin and the Camino? So one is definitely French and the other one is definitely Spanish. How do the two sort of compare? Because I must admit I've only walked through Spain, so different attitudes? Oh, completely different. Um, it's much busier, because um, so, we've subsequently done the Camino Francis, yes. so we now can compare. And despite the fact that I was didn't want lots of people first time around when I did it, I had a ball. It was fabulous. Um, but... Yeah, yeah. Maybe just a little bit of context here. Yeah, okay. Because we walked it twice. <laughs> yes. We walked it the first time in 2011. Yes. And that time we walked the coastal route, the, the um, uh, Norte. Uh, Camino, Camino del Norte, Norte, and then turned into the Camino Primitivo, mm -hmm. joining the Camino Frances for the last two days. Mm -hmm. So we were not doing the typical Spanish experience the first time. Then five years later, we came back, re essentially repeated the French leg from roughly Cluny through to St. Jean-Pierre-de-Port. Mm -hmm. But at that point, we picked up the Camino Frances. So when Anne talks about the difference between um, Spain and France, it, in some ways, it's more the difference between um, the, the secondary Caminos, like the Camino del Norte mm. and the, and the, um, uh, the Chemin in mm. France, mm -hmm. 
um, versus the Camino Frances, which is really a very special case. But go on, Anne, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah look, I think that's very true. But um, we started in winter, which is also another factor yeah. that a lot of places were going to be yeah. closed um, in winter anywhere yeah. on, on those minor routes. Yeah. So, um, but the, and the, the, the French are not going to get up at six o'clock and get you coffee, um, <laughs> as opposed to everyone, the Camino Frances, yeah. yeah. you know, they're squeezing you fresh orange juice and yeah. uh, at six o'clock if you want. Yeah. So there's, there's that difference. Um, it's very hilly. Um, now, yeah. obviously, the, the, probably the hardest single day of the entire Caminos we've done is day one out of St. John Peterport. There yeah. is no, if you do that as day one yeah. um, to yeah. Roncevalles, that is a tough day. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we were seven weeks into it by then, yeah. so we didn't find it that bad. Your Camino prepared, ready then, or hardened Absolutely. perhaps. <laughs> but that's if you compare the rest yes. of the Camino Francis to the Camino del Norte, Primitivo, yeah. and well, the, the Le Puy one, um, then, yeah, they're all hillier. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no big, long, flat section like you get on the Camino Francis and the other ones. You really did the road less travelled because not only did you start in France, and then, but that, that Camino Norte del Norte is really, everybody who has been on it has told me that it's, it is demanding. It, it is hilly. It is a little bit more remote mm. um, and perhaps even less supported. So, uh, yeah, you certainly bit off a lot in that first trip. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, th this question of supported um, depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for hostels, um, yes, it's it's not the Camino del Norte is not so well supported. Yeah. But you are you're walking the coast, yeah. and of course the coast is absolutely full of tourist villages, so seaside villages, mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. A lot of development. Um, so you'll certainly find somewhere to stay if you're prepared to pay for a pensione or a hotel. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking for specifically pilgrim accommodation, um, then it's going to be a little bit different. And as Anne points out. The, the towns, villages along the Camino Frances, many of them get their livelihood or a significant part yeah. of that now from the, from the pilgrims. So yeah. they are up at five o'clock or six o'clock in yeah. the morning making coffee to suit the late starters. Yeah. Whereas if you're in a, in a town in the north or whatever, you get up when you get up, you're not going to get up for five pilgrims. No, no, that's right. I s sort of feel, we went in winter as, as well. And um, I, when I was walking along there and checking the guidebook, I felt that the guidebooks are written for a summer pilgrim, uh, and you really have to be mindful of that. Uh, we came in; it was quite wet and cold, and quite a different experience to the to the experience I was reading about in the guidebook in front of me. So it was, that was quite a revelation for you. Well, I, th I think that's even more so on the French section. That even though the guidebook says open all year round, you get there and they say. We did not mean in winter. That is not all year round. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, there is a really big difference between winter and summer. I mean, this is the classic Mediterranean climate. In in summer, it's really, really hot, and um, and in winter, it's cold. It snowed when I was there. I walked through the snow, and it was cold and wet. And I think maybe we don't really get those types of. Um, climatic um, sort of extremes. I mean, we wouldn't call it extremes, but certainly, you know, we very few people walk through snow here, yeah. and um, you know, and they have forty degrees temperatures plus. So it's really amazing. For me, that was the the most fabulous thing, or one of the most fabulous things of our Camino was because it was eighty seven days the first time and seventy nine the second time. Yeah. We started in winter, but we finished late in spring. So yeah. you actually started to see the first tulips yeah. coming up, the first daffodils, yeah. the blossoms on the fruit orchards, um, the apples, etc. And it was just, you were so aware of the seasons yeah. uh, in such an exciting way. 
it, it, it really, I mean, they really do celebrate the seasons in a whole lot of different ways, and it's it's such a joy to do it. So when I, I when I finished, I thought oh, I'd really love to come back again, and um, but I'd love to do it a different season. So that's that's what how I was really thinking about it. Um, so how far were you into the Camino? I suppose like during the first when you thought I think there's a book in this. Um, well, it, it was actually in the first two weeks. Yeah, look, in the first two weeks we were walking essentially from Clooney to Le Puy and Valais. Now, at Le Puy, um, a couple of routes meet and, and, you, and a lot of people walk from Le Puy. So we were doing this feeder route into Le Puy mm. to join that feeder route to uh, St. Jean-Pierre de Port. And we were in February, it was winter, Oof. and we met only, and we, we got some snow, um, we met only one other walker by day or by night um, in that period, um, a young uh, Belgian lad, and we walked with him for a while, and when we mentioned that we were both aspiring writers, he said, well, I've got the solution for you. He says, you've got to write a, a story set on the Camino. And he says, obviously, you can write it together, so he knew nothing about fiction. Um, <laughs> and he said, and he said, because he got to know us, and he said, and it should be a love story about old people. <laughs> well, that's the thing too, and I, I sort of reflected upon this, is that we have this notion in Australia, certainly, that older people go on Camino. Now, I've got kids in their 20s as well, and that's for oldies. But in, in the, on the Camino, uh, it's not necessarily the case. It's actually quite a young person's thing to do. Lots of students, lots of people who have uh, just out of work or just about to enter the workforce mm. or taking a break. But the perception sometimes in Australia, at least, is that, oh, the Camino is just for oldies. And I, I'd love to break that down, that perception. I, I think the group you're missing in, in big numbers is the 35 to mm. 45, I guess, when their kids yeah, are dependent. Yeah, yeah. And there's not too many that want to push them in prams or drag them along with them. Mm. And they, they're in, stuck in jobs that you yeah. can't get huge pounds of time. Yeah. Um, so you do get, but yeah, we saw lots of 20s and then lots of the older group. And in the French section, what was really obvious to us, which is not so obvious on the Camino Francis, is the number of French and Germans who do two weeks a year. Mm. And they come back the next year and start where they left off. Mm -hmm. um, so not so many, uh, so the, the group on the Francis, we saw lots of Australians, we saw lots of Irish, um, few Canadians and lots of Americans. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't see them much at all on the in the, the Le Puy section, but you saw lots of French and Germans. Yes, well, that does seem to be more of a European tradition to take less time off. Um, and they can take those cheap budget flights in. They can fly into rather small places and start just about anywhere they like along the line. And they will. They'll walk for a week or two and then go back. I had the situation whereby I had to explain what long service leave meant. And um, that was really hard to translate. So they asked me, are you retired? Um, have you thrown your job in? Um, have you um, broken up with your wife? Or have you, are you at the crossroads or anything? Are you on sabbatical? And I had to say, uh, no, I'm not. You had none of the usual reasons for walking the Camino? <laughs> I had none of the usual reasons for walking on the Camino. Um, I wasn't at the crossroads or anything. And I, oh, I've got this thing called long service leave. And of course, they never could understand that. But that's the thing. Um, you do meet a lot of people on, who are at the crossroads. Do you think that was the case in your shared experience? 
Yeah, look, absolutely, particularly on the second Camino when we were polishing up two steps forward. For, for it was virtually you know, close to being published. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But my character, Zoe, is an American. Mm-hmm. And so we were walking with a lot of Americans. So I really wanted to hear their stories and saw a lot more people than we mm-hmm. did on the original Camino. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more people to walk to with. But that said, the ones we met originally also um, had, you know, reasons. Um, health, health and personal reasons uh, that they were trying to sort their lives out. Yeah, that's that's the thing I found too, people really, it, it's a big commitment. So people really need to take time out of their lives to do it. It's not gonna happen on its own. You know, you have to prepare for it. And you know, for, especially for us here in Australia, it's a long, it's a long trip. And uh, we're probably one of the few that actually goes the whole distance pretty much. Um, and that's, we wouldn't probably do it any other way. Um, so I would have to ask you now, um, is there any particular time that you thought, oh, I can't complete this, I'm, I'm done and dusted, packing up the sticks, I've got to check in and go? We had a deal that if Anne wanted to give up, if she wanted, that she had to go for two more days. Um, and you know, so just give it two more days when she was ready to give up. And if she still wanted to give up after those two days, I would give in whatever. I mean, obviously, putting aside serious injury and so forth. So, Anne? <laughs> <laughs> we hear the same deal. Um, but, yeah, there was just one day, and it was on a variant. Um, so we were probably about three weeks in, um, maybe a little more. Uh, novelty was over uh, and there was just this one hill too many and I just I was over it I really did not want to do this hill I just I'd lost the plot um, just really 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 didn't want so Graham diverted we were also struggling to find accommodation on this variant mm-hmm. so we did a quick whiz and change the itinerary which gave us a shorter day, which cheered me up because yeah. we'd been starting to do longer days. That was possibly yeah. drive, even though we like we ended up um, probably averaging about 25Ks a day. And I did do one 41K day one Ooh. day, but mostly in the first few weeks, we didn't do too too long. And I think I was perhaps getting a bit jack of that. It was too many long ones. So um, we did a shorter day and then I felt fine as I always did on the Camino no matter how sore I was one glass of wine I was a new woman and by the next day even after that 41k day feet good as new Um, never had lost a day through blisters or anything Um, but I didn't tell him for two days that I had no intention of stopping (laughs) he was really anxious for two days I think uh, she wanted to sort of get that's called passive aggressive sympathy seeking I think something something like like that that. I just want him hovering around a bit no long days for a little while yeah and and in the quieter times of the years you can get caught out with the long days I was just looking at the itinerary because I don't really know it from Clooney to La Puy and the the distances are pretty good but that's not Mm -hmm to say you know everything's about not between 17 and 21 or something like that but mm. oh there's a, a 27 and a 30 there but we, that's not to yeah. say you can't get a place that's not to say you can get a place in all of those yeah places. and so, we did a bit of our own itinerary we yeah. did quite a lot of 28 30k yeah, days yeah, yeah. for a while um yeah. and certainly once I, I I had a psychological thing against 30Ks. And once I cracked that, um, then the 41 was just like, it was basically the choice was you get, I think a 30K walk 
and you stay in the hostel where you have to share a dormitory or 41 Ks and you get your own room. And I said, 41. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a marvellous effort. That mm. really is a marvellous effort. So um, highlights, perhaps particular sections or where you thought, you know, this is, you know, now that you've done two of them, was a particular highlight of a section that you really enjoyed? on either of the Caminos? Look, in the, in, in the large scale, I would say that the two, that the French section, um, in fact, the French section from Cluny to um, the Poi en Ville is a really lovely section mm. um, with the hills and so forth. And I think um, the Camino Primitivo um, had a nice combination of being an ancient track with um, you know, built environment mm -hmm. and, the, and the relics and so forth mm -hmm. quite as good as the um, Camino Frances but mm -hmm. without without the people mm -hmm. and, a, and a few nice beach stretches Ooh. although I think the Camino del Norte is overrated um, there are some really tough sections on the highway and you know the, the trouble is that they, they probably follows the original pilgrim route yeah. which they've now built massive freeways over mm -hmm. and when the truck's rolling by on your know, big highway that is, it, it, 10k or 8 or 10k mm -hmm. that's really really tough going mm -hmm. and your and your compensation in terms of of beaches is there but not as much as you as you'd probably like yeah. Yeah. and i i just add to that the section that is, it makes me tingle is a conch so conch is about a week out of lapui i think um, and even if I took the, the section Lepuy to Fijiac, Fiji, uh, it was pretty gorgeous. Um, but Conk was particularly magic for me. It's, it's a, a very much a tourist town, but we were out of season, so it wasn't crawling with tourists. Mm -hmm. But it's the, the, monast the abbey is set um, on the hillside. You basically can't get cars in it. It's all cobblestoned. Mm -hmm. um, we stayed with the monks. I went to the religious sort of, you know, the blessing. And on the way out, like the next day, you walked steeply down, you walk steeply up through a forest and there's a tiny little chapel. And the first time when we did it, we rang the bell there and mm. the bells of Lafoy Abbey ring you out. And it was just spine tingling. Um, and I really kind of, while I'm not religious, it was sort of that feeling that really someone was looking after us. Yeah. Uh, it was, and the history of the place. Yeah. Lafoy is a name, I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, is named wow. after, I think, a 12-year-old who was martyred in like yeah. the 13th century. Yeah. Um, and you sort of look into all of that history and it's yeah. just, it's just in every pore of that town. Uh, and because I have this bit of music that when I hear it just yeah. takes me back there. Well, that's a really good place to have a have the siesta now. So playing us in, out um, to the siesta, uh, we are going to hear from the Masters of Chant, and this is their piece called Moment of Peace. And it is from recorded, uh, well, it was at least recorded or heard at the Conk Abbey in Foy. So we will hear that and we'll take a short break. Thank you.
and welcome to the siesta. In the siesta, I'd like to pick up on uh, any points that may have been made in our initial conversation. And today I thought I'd pick up on a point made by Anne in her, uh, when she referred to the Abbey in Conch. It is in fact dedicated to Saint-Foy and that's where her remains lay today. She was a young girl and she was martyred there during the 4th century as she refused to make pagan sacrifices even under torture uh, under the Roman persecutors at the time. There is a gilded reliquary and it has been in place since the year 1010 and it has been repeatedly adapted and enriched into the 19th century. Saint-Foy was an especially active saint who often channelled her activity through her reliquary. She performed the standard miracles and healings associated with sainthood, yet she also played practical jokes, demanded offerings and even meted out punishment to sceptics and detractors. One such story was of a local official who held on to a ring that his dying wife had promised to the saint. The man whose name was Ostrin. However, Ostrin used the ring to wed his second wife. Santfoy caused the finger of the second wife to swell up in unbearable pain. Ostrin and his new wife visited the saint's shrine and on the third night when the sorrowful woman happened to blow her nose, the ring flew off giving a sharp crack on the pavement at a great distance. Maybe we should be careful what we promise. And next in the siesta is Shell's Tips. Practical tips and hints for walking the Camino. Over to you, Shelley. Okay, one of the most important things to take with you on your Camino is a first aid kit. When you're in Spain, you'll notice that there are pharmacies everywhere. Even when you're in rural Spain, you'll find that even the smallest villages have a pharmacy. And in the larger towns, you'll find that they are a pharmacy in almost every corner and every neighborhood. So the things that you want to take with you in your first aid kit are really just for the emergencies and they're for the times when the pharmacies aren't open. So, you know, middle of the night, if you were unwell or early morning or perhaps during siesta in the afternoon when things aren't open. And the other things is that you might need some of your supplies when you're actually out on the road between your villages. So I guess the thing to remember with your supplies that you take, keep things very minimal and keep the supplies that you take very small. And just remember you're not packing for a long family holiday. The container that you use for your first aid kit is also really important. The thing that we found worked the best when we were away was a really small packing cell and it was about 
10 centimeters square and it was clear on one side so that you could see your supplies and it actually zipped up and it was waterproof and it was very very light at the same time so it was easy to carry because of course you want to take it with you all the time so either you know in your big pack if you're walking with your big pack but if you're going to have some days when you're just carrying a day pack you actually want to have your little first aid kit with you as well all right so let's have a look at the things that we found most beneficial some of these things we only used once or twice but it made the trip much less stressful if you had them easy and just at hand so I guess the first thing to talk about is medications. So, you know, perhaps common sense, but we'll state it anyway. Most important that you take any of the sort of medications, any regular medications that were really specific to your needs. For instance, I'm sure Luke won't mind me sharing this, but he does have a tendency to get the occasional migraine. And the only thing that really works for his headaches are a paracetamol and codeine combination. So we made sure that we just had one very small amount of those just you know half a dozen on a blister pack is enough you know for the girls out there maybe if you have to take some medication for your menstrual cramps again just take one little small section of your blister pack just so that you've got you know half a dozen of these types of medications when you're out on the road the other sort of general medications that are really handy to have in your first aid kit there's a there's probably three that you would take normally so you would take a paracetamol medication which of course is good for uh, general pain you might also want to take uh, some anti-inflammatory medication and all of these things are things you can get just across the counter so an anti-inflammatory medication could be good if you get a small injury or an ache or a pain along the way of course paracetamol is really good for the regular things like a little bit of a fever or a headache and then the other medication that you can get just across the counter that's handy to have with you is an antihistamine so some antihistamines the common ones that you get across the counter are regularly used for hay fever so the reason it's good to have one of these on hand is that if you did get bitten with something or you had some sort of allergic reaction or irritation to be able to take an antihistamine just even an across-the-counter antihistamine is a great advantage it will often take swelling and irritation and itchiness out of things so they're the three main types of, of um, medications that you would take when you're talking about the sorts of potions to take or the little creams and things to take again there's probably three that are um, ideal good old pawpaw cream was invaluable so pawpaw cream is one of those things that can be sort of used generally on anything that is slightly irritated or itchy and it can also be used as a protective type of balm so anything that's getting slightly irritated or chafed um, and also it's quite good for lips and things that get a little bit dry and a little bit sore along the way the other one that was a really invaluable cream from, for us was a little tiny tube of something called bite and burn cream and again these are just available at your local pharmacy and they're just across the counter creams there's lots of different brands of them and they're a cream where there's a few different things combined so they actually have an antihistamine that will soothe an itch they have an anesthetic 
proper teeth so also will take a little bit of pain or a little bit of burn out of something minor and they have an antiseptic and a disinfectant effect as well so they're great to rub on anything small or minor and anything a bit nondescript so whether it's a, a minor burn that hasn't broken the skin or even a, some sort of bite as well so that was a great one that we took along the way the other thing that's really important in your in your potions is um, some sort of antiseptic wash and so again you only need a very small like maybe only just even a 50 ml container and you know again any of the across-the-counter ones so it's the sort of thing that you know if you stubbed your toenail or you accidentally cut a finger in a small way you might want to have on hand to give the little wound a rinse out um, just remember it only needs to be a really small one so I guess this brings me a little bit to uh, you know what sort of band-aids what sort of bandages do you need to take along and then again just remember very minimal so some band-aids of course the best way to take your band-aids is a small supply but of lots of different sizes and different shapes so that you can use them maybe even mix a packet or a couple of packets um, ideal to put them perhaps in a little ziploc bag as well to keep them dry even in your little packing cell and the other thing that was invaluable for us was a compress bandage so you just take one um, ordinary compress bandage they're usually the sort of bandages that have a little bit of stretch and a little bit of give to them and you can get some very modern ones now when they actually adhere to themselves so you don't even need to have um, a pin or anything to actually make it adhere it will actually wrap around itself and adhere and that's just a really good one to have on hand for any sort of minor um, sprain or strain or even if you just feel like there's a part of you that needs a little bit of support you know knees ankles I used one for my ankle for a while as well and then the last thing in the sort of bandages section that we took with us was elastoplast tape so that's one of those slightly stretchy sticky tapes again you can buy them in every pharmacy we just took a really small roll of it and again it's just a really good general one it's actually really good for um, taping over areas that are rubbing on your feet to prevent blisters but it also comes in handy if you do need to tape any sort of extra bandage down or you need to tape your band-aids down as well so they were really the three sort of bandage type of things that we took and then just the additional couple of little things that we put in our first aid kit were a pair of tweezers and it was surprising when that came in handy and a small pair of nail scissors and really all of that we made pack into a tiny little 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter pack um, it was one of those things that we carried everywhere with us every day and um, it was just one of those things that alleviated a little bit of the anxiety along the way as well if you need any more supplies or you need anything bigger than this the local pharmacies are really really helpful and you can always add to your supplies as you go along but it, this is a good pack to just start out with buen camino
Okay, we're back, and I'm back with Graham Simpson and Anne Bust, and they are, have been telling us about their two Caminos in, to, in Spain, one along the Camino del Norte from, uh, uh, from Cluny, and the second one is also from Cluny, but going the more traditional route uh, along the Camino Frances. Now, a part of what we do here on Coffee and Camino is we have a bit of show and tell. And I do ask the guests to bring in something that is either practical or memorable, but at least a, a little bit um, significant, at least, to just to remind them about uh, what about their journey or something that brings back some memories. And um, well, because the Camino, you're carrying everything on your back anything you collect along the way has to be really small <laughs> so whilst there was all sorts of things i could have bought um one of the things that camino taught me was actually we don't need so much stuff um but i got a little bit of jewelry um so the gold shell i wear around my neck i've got a heart that my husband gave us on my first oh, our first wedding anniversary right. but i wear it with the shell and I pretty much wear that 95% of the time That's and lovely. interestingly so does my character Zoe in her um, in in two steps forward right. though her shell is a little different to mine but okay. <laughs> mine's a little bit more discreet and did you buy that at the end in Santiago is that right or along the way that one I think I did buy at the end but I bought the ring in Lapoy okay. um, so that one came from Lapoy so I've also got the scallop, the scallop. ring um, and then the second Camino, I bought these earrings in conch because I wanted to... And these are kind of unusual and they're designed from an old fishwives, um, how they used to do their earrings back in, I think it was 1700s or so. Now, Anne's so, just showing me, there's, yeah. a, there's a, a scallop shell there in a large loop, it looks like it, with a uh, hanging from there and it, in gold, and it does have a large loop underneath yeah. the earlobe there. Yes. Yeah, I'm not sure the significance of it, but maybe it was meant to be fishhook-like or something. Oh, right. <laughs> it had something to do with fisherwomen, um, and that came was handmade in, in conch. Um, well, it's a long way from the coast, though, isn't it? It, it is. It is. So it is. somehow, so, they, somehow they got but it. But rivers and stuff. So I might have been, um, and they put the scallop shell. I'm sure, because the, a lot of the pilgrims did go via this route, because of course they came to the the cathedral, or the abbey, because that's where they could get free accommodation and yeah. health care and food. Yes, um, yes. Even yes. though if you look on the map, it's kind of a bit out of the way. Right. But yes. it's where the traditional pilgrims did go. So, they, so coming from, they would come from. Um, further afield if they were to go through Cluny and it would be from uh, and Conk it would be from Paris or from perhaps well, even the Netherlands or Germany I think the Paris Geneva, group mostly came down through Bordeaux so there's another route down that way yes. um, I think Cluny picks up some of the northern Germans yes. um, and well, again the Dutch tend to go down Historically, there was more through past down the Bordeaux route, um, but the Germans coming through, and some of the Eastern Europeans come through this way as well. Okay, thank you. For, now, Graham, have you got something there that you have brought in for us at all? There you go. <laughs> the harmonica. Yeah. So that's a luxury item. Anything that isn't you know helping you do your walking. Um, and I, and I packed a harp. A lot of, um, or a few hostels will have a guitar hanging on yes, the wall. Yes, they whatever. do. Yes. And you know, there's always someone who can play. And, and the harmonica is, it's, 
portable instrument as you can manage and yes. I'm a, a rudimentary player but um, we had a lot of fun on a couple of nights just yeah. when someone pull a guitar off the wall and I'd play and someone would sing and, and so on. So. Oh, that's terrific. No, you're a man of many talents now. Well, well, I, well, I think many rudimentary skills and a couple of talents, one of which is not the harmonica. <laughs> well, it doesn't stop you from trying. Well, it, I do need to ask you then, because you have stayed in various amounts of um, accommodation, do you believe in cultural stereotypes now? <laughs> um, do they exist or are they just fiction? Or it's Because you do meet a lot of people along the way. Um, how did you? We were very conscious when we were writing the book because the book's fiction, but but inspired yeah. very much by our um, experience, and we kind of was we were drafting it and, and sort of talking about the characters and that. We started thinking, oh, this is kind of fitting into racial stereotypes, but it was so our experience, yeah. including the Brazilian women. We yeah. we did uh, walk with five Brazilian women the first time, including a mother and daughter. We have no idea about their backstories because their English wasn't very good, yeah. so we've totally made up the stories but mm. it was amazing how many sort of of that that's you live little bits of it yes. um, not yeah. entirely and uh, but we did see some of that yeah yeah look I, I would add I think that there's a defense mechanism when you are out in the world and look we've all seen it when we're traveling and you meet another Aussie and it's g'day mate you're going to have a pie it's and so on and and I think there's a little bit of a retreat into those stereotypes sometimes as a form of comfortable identity when you're traveling mm -hmm. so I I think we see the exaggerated version of those stereotypes, which of course only arose because they had some basis in, in reality. Yeah, well, they, they certainly are founded in some sort of experience, at least. I remember talking to my, my partner and we would be um, at dinner at night and uh, we'd had a, one or two drinks. And of course, the French and the Spanish are all very um, moderate in their consumption. And, and uh, my partner would say, uh, oh, gee, I could really do with another drink. And I would say to, uh, I would say to her, now just remember, you're representing your nation here, uh, because everybody seems to be defined. Oh, there's the Australians, there's the Brazilians. It's the first standard sort of thing that you, you know, oh, I met this American, or oh, I met this crazy, you know, Italian or something. So every, it's your, you carry that nationality with you everywhere you go, and you can't, you can't do well, on, on the Camino Francis, we bumped into a lot of Irish, yes. and uh, one particular Irish man said to me, oh, if if alcohol was as cheap in Ireland as it is here, there'd be riots in the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And there is a lot of all, there is a lot of Irish where we saw, but also lots of Koreans as well. Yeah. And apparently, from Korea, uh, you, especially young people who have just gone either about to go into military service or just finished military service, uh, they get a certificate and they can produce the certificate when they go for a job. And it's actually got some credence in, uh, in Korea. So we saw lots of Koreans along there. So, um, so I do have to ask you, um, what's next? What's next? What, what have uh, the, the Simpson and Bust household got planned as far as Caminos are concerned? 
So as soon as uh, it drops below 35 degrees in August, um, we're heading out from Clooney again this year, right. um, heading to Rome. So oh. on the same lamppost where there is scallop shells um, where we are is also a dove. So it's the Assisi and it kind of comes in, not the, the if, if you look up the books that say the way the, of Assisi is Florence to Rome, well we don't hit that till Assisi and then we, we pick and go from Assisi to Rome. But that dove will take us down south in France, okay. across the Alps in Italy, yes. um, and then through across to meet up in Assisi. So it's not part of the Via Francigiana then? I no, don't think so. No, no. Not, not if it, maybe that's where it meets mm. in, in Assisi and then Assisi, you, take the, yeah. you take the Via Francigiana yeah. down to, to Rome. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, I know a lot of people who I have been with uh, um, who are on the Camino, they have done at least parts of it. And in fact, I think it starts in Canterbury, if I'm right, mm. the, the, the yes. Via Francigiana. Right. And so you, that route is a, from Clooney to... Assisi is reasonably well signpost, is it? Not as well as the Camino, we believe, so we will definitely be taking a GPS and uh, making sure we've got some decent maps. Yes, well, there's a little bit of technology can go a long way, and uh, we found that we used it quite, um, you know, at uh, discrete times and things like that as well, yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me today and, and Graham. I've enjoyed it immensely. It's such a big weekend for you too. Um, Graham's assured me that he's been in every bookshop, uh, bookshop in Melbourne uh, launching the book and um, I'm sure Anne has been very dutiful in her uh, in her. By accompanying uh, Graham around all these things, I feel some days, <laughs> some places. I feel very, very privileged that you've actually been able to take time out to do this with me in Coffee and Camino. So, for those people um, who would just like to uh, find this, it's out on SoundCloud. It'll be coming out very shortly, uh, and you'll be able to leave a comment there. So, thank you very much, and um, for joining me, Anne. And thank you, Luke. Graham. Thanks, Luke. Okay. Thank